Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today. I have with me John Sumple, the creator of the Extraordinary series. If you guys aren't familiar with the Extraordinary series, you have to get familiar with it. And I'll explain to you. First, they started off with Extraordinary, the Stan Romanek story. Then there was Extraordinary, the seating, where they tackled the abduction phenomenon. They hit it from all angles, and you, you have to see that. But then this new film, it's called Extraordinary Revelations. They tackle all fields of ufology from ancient alien contact to uh, alien agendas to government black ops projects. And I was lucky enough to see the screener, and, I, and it was an amazing movie. And I want to welcome John to the show, John Sumble. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Um, thanks for having me on, Robert. Looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah. So was that your um, goal when you were you making this movie? Because let's go back a little bit. Like if you could familiarize the audience with your other two movies, like when did you start getting into the phenomena? What, what, did you did it kind of gradually build as you did the Stan Romanek story, then the uh, the, the the seating with the abduction phenomena? Like, did your interest grow or did, were you always into it and you planned to do these? Well, I, I can go back even further that Jack and I first met in the mid 90s and uh, got involved in a project in the paranormal space uh, with a haunted uh, uh, plantation in um, Louisiana, the Myrtles Plantation. He had gone there, captured some pretty amazing images. We went back and, and did some uh, field research there and, and captured some great EVPs and had some pretty amazing experiences there. We developed a show, uh, a show concept uh, that was very similar to Most Haunted, which came out several years later, that we pitched around and, and got no takers. Uh, so we were, we were a little ahead of our time, I think. But uh, fast forward to 2009, Jack said he wanted to do a project where it was a road trip, kind of a, a, a guerrilla documentary road trip to the southeast, uh, southwestern U.S. to document uh, crash sites and, and spot, you know, hotspots for ufology. And he wanted me to come along as the uh, videographer. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Sounds like a good time. Uh, then while we were in the discussion process for that, he had a chance to meet with Alejandro Rojas and Chuck Zukowski and learned about the Stan Romanek story and had no familiarity with that whatsoever, nor did I. Jack is a more of a uh, more aware of the UFO phenomena for much longer than I've been. I have had sightings when I was younger, but he has been following it since a young age and has always had an interest in it. And uh, when he came to me with the UF uh, with the opportunity for Stan Romanek project, I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm all ears. And we were initially looking around for uh, someone to direct and, and the price points were way too high for our budget. And so we decided to do it on our own. And I took the helm, you know, with that, with the first one. And that one came out in 2014. Uh, it it kind of was self-distributed based on the fact that Stan had legal issues and really kind of uh, it was a kiss of death for us having any opportunity to distribute it through normal channels. So we went the self-distribution route. And uh, in 2017, we got a call out of the blue from uh, The Orchard and said they wanted to rep the film and distribute it. And we wound up getting picked up on Netflix with that. And it kind of created an opportunity with The Orchard to do more films in that genre. So with the success of that first film, 
uh, we they asked us, well, what else would you like to do? And we came up with the idea of doing a trilogy where the first film really focuses on one person's experience with lights in the sky, uh, with abduction, with hybridization programs, with hybrid children. And we decided, let's take it a step further, go deeper into the hybrid children story. And then in a third film, talk about it more from a global big picture perspective. So uh, it was greenlit by The Orchard, which is now 1091 Pictures. And you know, that's what we've been doing for the last uh, five years, four or five years is developing these these last two films. And the one that uh, the revelations just came out uh, just a week ago. And I, I have to say, I, it's like Bravo, like a hundred percent. Like I, I, I love the seating. Like that's when I really caught on because I was really into the abduction phenomena then. Like I was, you know, kind of just like really getting involved and like, you know, listening to a lot of Dr. Jacobs stuff and, you know, interviewing mm -hmm. people on my show that had like different perspectives of like what was going on. And that's really weird because you cover that in Revelations, these two camps. You have like kind of the, the Jacobs camp who's, you know, all in on that these things are bad. They're they're here to uh, take over our planet and they want the worst for us. Then you have the Mary Rodwell camp who I've actually had on my show. And she has 3,000 patients or, or yeah, 3,000 abductees herself, just like Jacobs has 3,000 abductees. She has 3,000, she calls them contactees, where they're experiencing different things. Like she, I, she even goes into the children that are, she sure. talks about star seeds and um, mm. indigo the new children. Human. Yeah, the new human yeah, is her that, latest that, book. That yeah. was the show we did. So what are your thoughts on these two different camps and where do you stand? Well, the, there's there's three total that we cover in the so the film is broken into three acts. The first act is more of the historical perspective. The, the middle portion of the film is focused more on the on the the three paradigms that we discuss in the film. Uh, one being the ascension, two being the colonization that you had mentioned, and the third one being the biblical narrative. And the biblical narrative is the one that. Uh, is I think most most people probably don't know about that one as much as uh, as as the other two, but we felt based on the research that we were doing going into the film that it would make a lot of sense to show people that even though there are a lot of people who believe in the phenomena of an abduction of a hybridization experiment and of hybrid children, all three of these groups believe in that. But the end game and the outcome and the purpose is very, very different. So they're all coming from the same belief paradigm, but their end game scenarios are very, very different. So we felt it would be important to show people that even if you believe in, in the phenomena, that you could have a different interpretation based on what resonates with you or what your experience might have been, what you were shown, what your awareness might be. So we wanted to make sure that we uh, covered all of all of those three. There's probably many more, but those are the three most prominent ones that we uncovered during our research, and we felt it would be important to talk about them. Where do I sit on that? I think it might be uh, it might be a combination of all three. I really don't know, and that's one of the things that that what we want to try to make sure our audience who who finds this film and watches it understands is that we don't have the answers. We don't have a specific agenda. We kind of point to the information that is available to us and, and draw conclusions from that. But most importantly, try to encourage the widest audience possible, the middle of the bell curve as opposed to the fringes, to ask the question, what if this is all true? 
and to kind of come at it from the perspective, uh, from a conversational research and awareness and heightened education about this phenomena, as opposed to something that is more relegated to, uh, you know, the dark corners of the universe. And I, I like the fact that you have a lot of heavy hitters and from the UFO industry in your film. You have Richard Dolan, Jimmy Church, Dr. David Jacobs, Billy Carson, George Norrie, Mary Rodwell. I mean, and, and other big names. I mean, Clifford Stone, you know, that that's amazing. You know, when you get into the government stuff, like um, what what was your thoughts on that when going on, on the government black ops project? You even had Lynn Buchanan. I've had Lynn on my, a lot of the people you've had on your show, I've had on my show, like I've had L.A. Marzulli. So I've talked a little bit about the bit and to him. I talked to him about the Nephilim, but then lately he's got more into this abduction and I'm having him back on my show to talk about that. Um, he because he made those watchers films where mm -hmm. he gets mm -hmm. into the abduction phenomenon himself so he's more from biblical narrative, biblical narrative excuse me but um this government aspect of the black ops projects that you covered i really like that and i think the fans will enjoy that can you get into that a little bit and what was your idea on that yeah so we so what we were trying to accomplish and there's a lot in this film and and we're aware of that and we, what we wanted to do was to cover a, a lot of territory and encourage individuals watching this to find the things in there that resonate with them so that they can go off on their own research and learn more. So we we take the, the journey is really from the Big Bang Theory and the opening credits through uh, current day from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. And what we're doing is trying to take people on a journey, a very quick journey, through things that have that have that occurred in history, through the different belief paradigms that currently exist today, and the in government the government's involvement and military involvement over the course of the last you know seventy plus years. And the purpose of having that part in in the end is if if yeah, you might be on the fence a little bit with the historical perspective, you might not one hundred percent believe that. These paradigms, they might not resonate with you, but when you talk to people who are in the military who tell their stories about how they were engaged, what they were doing, why they were doing it, why the government chose them, and, and the interaction that they had as a result of that, all three of these individuals in some way, shape, or form were connected to government inquiries into the UFO phenomena. Two of them in particular, Clifford Stone, who was a part of Project Moondust in a crash retrieval. Uh, and uh, Dan Sherman, who who initiated electronic communication, or I guess it would be more of a, a, a kind of a, a telekinetic, or not telekinetic, but the uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word, but the the, the ability to communicate directly with uh, uh, beings in the event that there was a, a knockout of communications technology that we currently have today. And Those also two. I wanted to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Lynn Buchanan, when he remote viewed, I know this from talking to him, he remote viewed like other planets. Like, you know, it gets, it's mm -hmm. amazing the stuff he did. He, he, he made, he told me he had to make like uh, plans for in case our society would go meet another society. How the, what, the, what supposedly this is, I don't know if you have what this supposedly this society would be like. And so it wouldn't be confrontational. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then yeah, he also. Absolutely. He, well, one of the things sorry when, when working with when working with Lynn Lynn and Dan in particular um 
were much more guarded, knowing that this was going to be in a documentary format and that it would be for the world to see. They agreed to to be interviewed. They they have written books, so there's awareness of of their stories. But what they they kind of went on the record. There's like both of them are like, well, there's nothing I can reveal here that I haven't already revealed in my books. But what we try to do is, you know, tell the stories in a way where you can see that all three of these individuals were used by the military for their own agenda, which was we need information. We want to stay ahead of the game type of thing. And uh, in in the case of Clifford and and, and Dan Sherman, they were selected at a very early age in their youth based on potentially being hybrids uh, and having DNA that would allow them to engage in activities that most people wouldn't. Uh, They were part of a military program. And once they got of age and they enlisted and they were uh, on their posts, they were basically told, this is what you've been selected for. And in Dan Sherman's case, he was told by his uh, the presiding officer of the location that he was at that your mother was part of a breeding program and you are you have unique DNA and this is what you're going to be doing. And it was the first time he had ever heard part. anything of that. He no, was no, a that, part of, his mother was a part of a breed. He was a hybrid. I didn't. Yes. Holy heck. That's it's in huge. his book. He briefly talks about it in the film. We could have done a whole we could have done a whole movie on almost every person that was in this film, but we had to pick and choose the the, the moments. I think, you know, for the purposes of, of a, an hour and 45 minute film, we we couldn't dangle something like that without going deeper into it. So that was one of those things that, uh, you know, as as Dan and, and Lynn said to us numerous times as we were t- talking with them before and during the interviews, well, all this stuff is is documented. It's all documented already. There's no surprises here. So from from that point of view, what we really wanted to accomplish was to create this awareness that the government knows, military knows, and have been involved for years, decades, and 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 learning more about and gleaning information from contact with uh, extraterrestrials. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that I wanted to talk to you about this too. The fact that you get into the ancient um, contact where, um, you know, you have Billy Carson and he's one of my favorite researchers because I, I, I always tell this when, when I first kind of got back into the phenomena, it was back in 2017 and I, got really into the story of the Anunnaki because I was always like a history buff. So one day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my life was just completely normal. You know what I mean? Like I watched sports, I bet on sports, I dated girls and I went to work and like, that was kind of hey. like, you know, like, <laughs> right. and, uh, then I found out about this story about the Anunnaki. And then that took me on a rabbit hole down all these other things. And I found about all these other things that we've been lied to and all these other Truth. So one of my favorite researchers you have in the film is Billy Carson. And then um, Mary Rodwell talks about the Wajina as well, the Australian. Um, what are your thoughts on ancient contact? And um, and was it important to have that in the film as well? well? I think I think what we one of the reasons we wanted to have that in there was to to set the table for this has been happening for a long time. So it's not just since 1947. So there has been documented sightings all over the planet over the course of the the last few millennia. You know, the first sighting in the the Americas was in the 1600s. So it's not new. It's not, you know, Roswell and and after. It goes back much, much further than that. So our objective in, in kind of putting that information out front was to show everybody that there is 
a possibility that this has been happening for a very, very long time. But the critical importance of that in the beginning of the film is you have to understand the mindset of the individuals who are documenting it. So if you are uh, in a culture 2,000 years ago and you're witnessing something in the sky, you're not going to immediately, these are extraterrestrial beings from another you know, universe. Uh, yeah. or, or another dimension, or you're you're looking, you're witnessing something in the sky, and you're documenting it. You're seeing it. You you have no context for what it could be. It could it could be you know imagine the cultures that saw the first shooting star. What did they think? They didn't think, oh, that's from another planet. They thought of it as a phenomena, and then they saw more of them. And they got used to it, and so like, oh, that's a shooting star. It could have been very much the same based on visitors or or craft in the sky doing. They're not going to know the difference between a shooting star and and a light in the sky that goes, you know, does a ninety degree turn. They're not going to know that because they have no frame of reference for it. So what we want to try to do is encourage the fact that. We have to put ourselves in the mindsets of the individuals who believe that the earth was flat, who believe that the earth was the center of the universe. Until it was proven otherwise, that's all they knew. And, and what we need to do as current day observers of the human experience and of the cosmos is realize that we don't have all the answers and there's more for us to learn. And as these new discoveries occur that prove that the earth isn't flat or the center of the universe, we're going to learn more about who we are, what our existence means, and, and what role we're playing in the evolution of the universe and the cosmos and and, and living sentient beings. It, it, it's very interesting when you peel back all of those layers and are willing to go there and ask those questions. And that makes me think of another question, and I think your your film kind of provides this. And like a lot of people in the UFO community talk about disclosure and like, when are we going to have disclosure? Well, I'm of the impression that we already have disclosure and it's films like yours that are pro providing proof of disclosure. So, I mean, do we even need disclosure at this point? I mean, would you think it would just provide people with like, I guess, like some kind of solace that the government's finally admitting that, you know, that, but, you know, they kind of did with, with the COVID relief bill, you know, they, they, but they, they, they kind of gave us like, I don't know if you saw that. They, they kind of didn't give us anything, you know? So right. what are your thoughts on the whole disclosure thing? Well, I, I think when you think about when uh, Roswell happened and the events that happened in that time frame, the sightings, uh, the first sightings in the U.S. at Mount Rainier, Roswell shortly after that, other crashes that weren't as prominent at the time but have since been uh, documented, that was during the Cold War. And when those things were first identified in the capacity that they were identified – there was not an awareness of who was operating those. Was this something that was the enemy? Was this uh, something extraterrestrial? There, there wasn't, a, but the, the first fear was that this is the enemy and we need to protect our citizens. So during the Cold War, if you were to start showing this in type of information, people might freak out. There might have been mass hysteria back then. So what I think we've had happen over the course of the last 70 years is a slow drip. And that includes government involvement, Project Blue Book, you know, trying to add validity to it. You know, Betty and Barney Hill's story coming out, uh, you know, a lot of photographic evidence that followed the Hollywood movies that kind of conditioned us to what a takeover would look like. First, you have the the uh, the Spielberg films that made it look like E.T. and uh, Close Encounters, that it was something that could be a positive event. And then we have the War of the Worlds and all the other things, the Independence Day that followed with a they're here to take over. So we've been 
conditioned to a certain extent to accept the fact that this could happen someday. So there's this kind of slow burn of awareness. But I would say over the last 20 years with the proliferation of cell phones and pictures and, and the ability to see things on, on the Internet and YouTube, we're seeing more and more and more documented evidence doesn't necessarily mean that it's proof, but we're we're being conditioned to that there's something else out there and we're accepting of it. So much so that if we see something that isn't a perfect image, we're like, yeah, that's not that's blurry. That's not good enough. Whereas that same blurry photo 30 years ago, 40 years ago would have had everybody up in arms. We've just been conditioned to accept it. And the more and more information that comes out, the the less and less uh shocked we are by it. We're more accepting of it. So there there, I, there seems to be a little bit of a calculated uh, process that's going on right now. But as we discuss in the film, and Nick Pope kind of hits this, drives this point home, is that something changed in 2014 when the U.S. Uh, documented something that said there's something happening. We're not sure what it is. And, and the way that he explains this is that the language that was used and how this was released was that of a threat. Whereas before, all the information that had ever been discussed in, regarding uh, UFOs and uh, flying saucers and little green men was ridiculed and kind of conditioned uh, the rest of the population to think that it was it was just kind of ridiculous. So what changed? What was different about this 2014 time period? And now we're seeing, you know, the Tic Tac videos, the, the, the revelation of ATIP in the New York Times article in 2017. And we're, we're starting to see this narrative changing to UAPs and we're putting UFOs in the back, you know, back in a box in the back of the closet. So all of, everything that happened up until recently, up until 2004 with the Nimitz issue is, is old news. And we don't talk about that. We only talk about what's happening with UAPs moving forward. So we're trying to bury the old narrative and talk about the new narrative. And the new narrative is focused primarily on technology. It's not focused on the sentient beings that could be driving that technology. So we're seeing a shift in focus on the technological side. So we may get to the point over the course of the next several years, decades of having an awareness and acceptance of this type of technology existing. And we're adapting with our awareness of what this te technology is to the point where we're not focused on the sentient beings. We're focused on the technology. And eventually we're going to get to a point where there is more disclosure surrounding the sentient beings but it's not going to ever be an announcement, you know, at a press conference. It's just not going to be that. It's going to be something that slowly rolls out. Because can you imagine the mayhem for all the people who have been shot down and ridiculed and put through traumatic experiences as a result of the military and the media and the general population shaming them for uh, sharing these stories as being ludicrous? How does the military yeah. correct that? How do the, how does how do governments correct that? It would be. It would be hellacious for them to admit that these experiments have been happening on their watch and they were the ones who said it was okay. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because they've they've made it like, you know, they someone told me that the CIA made up the term conspiracy theorists after JFK got killed. You know, they said that the people who came up with alternative theories about JFK are called conspiracy theorists. And that was the start of the ridicule. And then it moved mm -hmm. on into the UFO phenomenon. Anybody who believed in the UFO phenomenon, especially abductions, they were labeled as, you know, either crazy or on drugs or, you know, um, ridiculed, you know, and that was like the the thing to do. And and uh, and I, I, I and now I guess it's becoming more commonplace like to 
believe, but you know, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think that was kind of what what was the the, the whole thing that people were, were ridiculed? Yeah, I, I, you know, anybody who has come forward with their story uh, is is going to face that, and and that, as you know, that was a big premise in in the seating, was the compassion that we need to have for individuals who are willing to risk that storytelling. My experience was, and they share it publicly. That's very difficult for somebody to do because one, the trauma that they went through and having the experience is one thing, but two, the trauma that they're going to experience and how it's how how it's received. And it, whether it's telling your best friend or telling family members and having them not believe you, that's 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 like a double whammy. You're being you traumatized twice by that. And then it's more a matter of uh, finding others who are willing to tell the story uh, with you to say, I've had similar experiences. The one thing that we find tremendous satisfaction with over the course of the last four years is people coming out and and i'm talking thousands of of messages that we've received uh over the course of the last uh, three films saying thank you so much for sharing this now i know i'm not crazy you know we spoke with somebody just the other night who said the same thing i i watched the seating and i was shocked that it was basically my life on tv and uh, she she said, I, I realized at that point that I'm I wasn't alone in, in my journey and I felt more comfortable talking about it as a result of seeing something like this and seeing other people who are just like me, you know, not tinfoil hat wearing people in the backwater of some, you know, remote part of the world. It's it's somebody who is a professional standing, uh, you know, in front of a camera telling their story and it makes it come home, you know, drives the point home a little bit more so that more people are encouraged to find their tribe, share their story, and be comforted by people who who have had the same uh, experience as them. So the ridicule thing is, is I think a lot of it has to do with the, the governments and the media and uh, the military's response to people moving forward and stepping out to tell their story. There's, you know, just think about any news media segment that you saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, early 2000s. They always had an eye roll. It was kind of like, okay, here we go. There's another UFO story. Ho, ho, ho. There was never any seriousness to it. And, and now yeah. I think we're starting to move away from that and there's becoming more and more acceptance of it. The polls are showing that people not only believe in uh, extraterrestrial beings, uh, they also believe in abductions and they believe in hybrid beings. So we're moving away from the the fantastic part of it to the more acceptance part of it. And I think, you know, that's very important. One of the other things that Nick Pope says during the film, which I think is another one of the most important parts of the entire film, is that when the New York Times story came out, the government, the U.S. government could have very easily turned it away. They could have very easily, when the, the, the Tic Tac videos came out, said, no, no, these are this, that's not what it is. This They could have very easily changed the narrative because they've done it hundreds, if not thousands of times before over the last 70 years. Why didn't they do that this time? And uh, he makes another point, too, that after that kind of died down a little bit back in, 20, in 2017, a couple of years later, they brought it up again. Why, why would the government do that unless they were trying to control the narrative? So that's, I think, one thing that, that Nick talks about in the film is that listen to what's being said, but also listen to what's not being said. That's just critically important. So if you're, you're listening to something that is advancing a narrative, that is intentional. 
and Nick is an expert at that because he was in control of the, that messaging for the British government when he was uh, in part of the, the Ministry of Defense. That's pretty interesting. That, that's, um, now, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Um, what, what, uh, what beings, from doing the seating, and you know, you learned a lot about abductions and all the different maybe characters that are involved. And then in this movie, I don't know if you got into the character. I'm talking about the sentient beings because you brought mm-hmm. that up. Like, we know that the, we hear names, but we know there's the greys. And everybody, you know, almost every abductee's met the greys. But then you hear other beings like the Nordics, the reptilians, the uh, mantids, you know. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, wh- which one do you think we can verify all these that they're real or which ones do you think we can verify that are real from your from your experience? So I come at this from a little bit of a different perspective. I'm I'm, I'm definitely not a skeptic. Uh, a more of a realist with this in the sense that in the same way that somebody who believes uh, passionately in religion and their God, whatever God that might be, there's no proof of that, but there's tremendous faith. And I think that the, uh, the other side of the equation for anybody who's had a contact experience, they know it to be real. It is a very, very uh, uh, realistic experience for them, but Without the ability to have tangible proof for either one of them, it, it it can be perceived as being faith. So until we have those tangible items to touch and talk to and glean information from, it's very hard to say what is and isn't real. But based on the research that has been done and the information that has come forward from people who are military whistleblowers and people who've had multiple contact experiences, they're sharing similar information. So at some point, we have to say this should be admissible as proof, as evidence. Uh, I should say as evidence, it's really not proof, but it's admissible as evidence. And when we talk with Dr. Jacobs and with uh, Mary Rodwell during the the interview process, both of them were very, very adamant. And Dr. Jacobs, in a, in a, a screening phone call that we had with him, got very upset when we said there's a lack of evidence to prove this to be true. And he said, I am sick and tired of hearing people tell me that my work is is not proof. He said, what more do you need when you talk to over 3,000 people where you get their, the, this, the, this information that corroborates with each other? And Mary said the same thing. She said, I, I'm tired of this. She said, what more proof do you need than people who are sharing experiences that are, that are down to the minute detail about what they're experiencing? And it's, and it's the same. And the two haven't spoken to each other. This information has not been released for them to sit there and say, oh, someone else told this story. Let me tell the same one. So they look at that as we, we've sat in the chair. We've been with these people. They've shared their stories. There's a lot of commonality, a lot of repetitive things that are happening in there, a lot of evolution that has happened over the years as well as to how the narrative has, has advanced to the point where they're saying this is this is evidence this is this is good evidence for us to consider the possibilities of what is out there. So you have to look at the different people who have shared the stories about all these different races that they've experienced and, and not immediately go to the, wow, that that's a little crazy. That's a little woo-woo. Uh, I don't know if I can believe that. But instead of hearing one person's story, I think it's important to look at it from the perspective of there's a difference between watching a video clip of somebody speaking for five minutes or two minutes or 30 seconds or in the TikTok world, seven seconds, eight seconds. 
versus sitting down and spending a day with somebody and spending time with them to see how they recount their stories and how it emotionally has impacted them. When you sit back in your armchair and you make judgments uh, of people's stories based on the brief amount of information that is presented to you, you don't know the full story. You, We've been fortunate enough that people have allowed us into their homes, into their lives, and into their personal stories to the point where we witness the emotional impact that this has had on them. What person in their right mind would step forward with that type of information that is so uh, traumatic, so impactful to them and share that story? What? Who would want to invite that ridicule for no purpose whatsoever. Why would they do that? But in in, in many ways, we see those people uh, as being important members of society because of the risk that they're taking to share that narrative because when they do it, it encourages other people to find the tribe, get the support, and potentially tell their stories as well. So the more and more stories that come out, the more and more it will validate the work that the Mary Rodwells and the, the, the Dr. Jacobs and everyone who, you know, the giants on the shoulders of the giants that they stood on uh, to do their work. So it, there's a lot of evidence out there that says that there are these beings and we should, uh, if, if you believe something or you're curious about something, uh, Google is your friend and you will find, as you mentioned earlier, rabbit holes that will satisfy your cravings for and curiosities for, for days and weeks. Well, to finish up, I think this film does that, too. So I'd like to tell everybody, if you could tell everybody where to get it and, and the seating, too. Like, But the new film, Revelations, where do we? Where does everybody find it and how do they get it and stuff like that? So the best place to go is to our website, j3films.com. There are uh, uh, pages on that for each one of the films. And there are links on those pages that will take you to where you can where you can view the film. Okay, that's great, because I, I think everybody needs to see this film. I mean, I, I know it, it, it provides a lot of evidence, and it leaves a lot of questions, a lot of interesting questions that I think people will find very uh, amazing. So I want to thank you for your time. I, I thought this was an amazing interview. I think we covered everything. Yes, we did. Very good. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to your audience. All right, and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you so much.